oi, keeles puhkud, koibuk peibu. Jakpa makta, jeesuvi, saimak tumbei contact with my chancellor your chancellor everybody's chancellor jg hertzler we are your hosts davin and my daves hello gavin uh, <laughs> uh, david david and dave there's three daves actually there three Dave. wow is there going to be more on this uh on this little uh, hoo-ha <laughs> you know, I wouldn't no, this, rule it out. Uh, we may have reached the limit of Dave for the moment. Oh, okay. <laughs> Excellent. Maybe. Well, first off, how are JG's you this evening? Thanks now. for joining us. Have I mentioned how much I love your LLAP and its long living podcast? It's a brilliant. Who came up with that? That would that would be that me. Would be Ontario yes. Dave. Oh, that would be Ontario Dave. Yes, well, thank you. You seem to be uh, maybe you, you seem to be the youngest. Uh, I oh, wow. uh, can just available. <laughs> He'll take it. He'll take yes. it. Well, good. He's actually, his younger cousin. Well, I wanted to. <laughs> I wanted to meet. Yeah, because Davin is my second cousin. Um, but oh. uh, for you know, I I was born in Nova Scotia, but have since left. Um, but I, I did want to mention to you, uh, J, do I, JG. Is that um, or is it John or uh, do we? Mr. Hertzler, Chancellor, or or may I speak to the man who can get me to speak with uh, JG, but never go directly to me with a JG. You know, just go to one of my people. Where are my? Oh, they're out. They're out right now. <laughs> Would you like me to play intermediary on that? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not with a name like Davon, Davon, Davon. Don't Dab worry, I've had Dab relatives who never got it Dab right, so there's really no pressure at all. My family's still trying to get it right. Isn't there a Davenport? Isn't there a... Yeah, it's like that. Port? It's yeah. exactly like that. That's how Dab I explain it to people. Oh, okay. It has a silent yeah. port on the end. It does oh, have a silent oh, port. Silent. <laughs> Davenport. I love that. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Hertzler, I wanted to mention to you uh, that you and I share the same birthday, um, March 18th. Wow. I'm, a, yes. I'm just a, a, maybe a year or two before. I think oh, only right. one, um, you know, or so. And, uh, you know, like I, you know, we share this day with some, you know, other famous people like Queen Latifah and Vanessa Williams and the voice of Chucky and uh, a couple of Brad Dourif. Do you know Brad Dourif? Oh, yeah. right on. Mark yes. Absolutely. Right. Um, yeah. A couple it's other. Exactly my birthday. March 18, 1950. We were oh. born on the same day, and for this all this time, I've said, you know what? I, I really want to get in touch with Brad Dorf and talk about what he's seen in his lifetime, which is exactly the amount of time that I've been. Oh. Um, Interesting. In fact, yeah. I want to have you would be invited to this, David. Uh, if what I'd like to do is have a party for everybody that was born on March 18th. 
That's like a great uh, like, My birthday's two days later. Can I come? No. No, uh, no you have to, you have to do the 17th. Oh, or the, what, the 14th? The 15th. But 16th, I'm sorry. Um, but I, my, you and I, uh, Dave, with born the same day, that's a day after St. Patrick's Day. That's right. You know, our moms were, were you know, drinking heavily on St. Patrick's Day, and it got... <laughs> Said, hey, mom, I, I don't like the taste of alcohol in here. I'm get, I'm getting out. You yeah. know what I mean? It was how we induced the labor, really. <laughs> and then, it, you know, I came the next day. Um, <sighs> and, uh, yeah, like it's it's always a day that, because I am also Irish or part of Irish heritage. Oh, wow. so, so yeah, like it's often hung over on my birthday. You know, celebrate on the seventh. Oh, yeah, I know. Everybody had a great time the night before, and then we have a birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nah, I feel like I'll just relax. Yeah, I'd love to be able to come, but I can't, I can't talk or move right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I've suffered the same way, but it goes on. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> next year it'll be the same. So, but maybe it will change in a year. Yeah. Pisces power. It's all Pisces power. And you know what else about Pisces? It's always the last thing, it's that last. We're the last reading the bottom of the page, or else like a couple of pages later, finally they get to Pisces. Who's before us? Mars. Uh, no, Mars is after us. The Aquarius are before us. Aquarius. Aquarius is before us. They write songs about that. This is the dawning <laughs> of the age of Pisces. Yeah, I don't think so. We need a song. We need a song. <laughs> they will sing songs of this day. Well, Sam, you're not oh, welcome. Sam's an Aquarius. Yeah. Sam's an Aquarius. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Can you sing right. a song? You got a damn song, Sam. So uh, <laughs> come on, man. Handle it. Sing your song. It's a great tune. All right, Dave. We're going to write the Pisces song. It has to be done. It has to be us. We're doing it. Do right. me. <laughs> and I. And then you for you know, is it the women? Does the C become the before the S? Or does the S become the C? Oh, never mind. Poor C. It's all fishy. Yeah. It's, it's all, all fishy. The whole thing's fishy. Yeah. Yeah. Smells the high heaven. Yeah. So, so I, I I read that you're a bit of an activist there, uh, JG, and I was I was wondering if um, you and James Cromwell were only arrested together the one time. He's been arrested many, many, many times. Cromwell knows every, what I learned that day in the paddy wagon, they literally put the on us and put it, took us in a paddy wagon. Uh, you know what a paddy, uh, wait a minute, if that's, oh, a, yeah. that's a slight, that's a slight against the Irish, isn't it? <laughs> a paddy wagon. I mean, the, cops. the British probably called, yeah. you know, they take the paddy. all the paddies in there. Yeah. Yeah, they're trouble. I've thought about it before. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Um, but the power of words is is right there. You're absolutely right. Yeah, they put us in the they put us in the back of that thing. <laughs> it felt so silly. You know, we were we were trying to save the people of Central New York from having uh, fracking fluid yeah. seep into the one of the most pristine lakes in North America. And they arrest us for that. But but Jamie Good. Jamie knew every every uh well I don't know if it's every, but he knew a, he has a, a plethora of 
protest songs from the 60s on. He knows them. And uh, and I didn't. Um, you know, I, all I know is the fish. Is the country joined the fish? Just go one, two, three. What are we fighting for? Don't ask me. I don't give a damn. Next stop is Vietnam. And it's five, six, seven. Open up pearly gates. Whoa, ain't no time to wonder why. We're all gonna die. I think that was country going the fish. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, he and I was in here. I was just awed. He's a great guy, and he has protested everything for the last fifty years. Uh, that is uh, that merits protest. Um, and God bless him. Now he lives. His home is somewhere here in the uh, eastern part of New York State. I think it's Warren, uh, New York. And, or Warwick, Warwick. Um, maybe it's now I forget. That's towards the end with Vermont, like that's to, out that way. If no, it's down towards uh, it's down in that where, where New York like drops. There's a like I don't know how to explain it, like a dog leg on the eastern side mm -hmm. down to, to Long Island down there. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. So for and that, Warren's in that the Warwick or Warren is right in that little area. And I've been to Warwick Castle, by the way, in England. Uh, I was doing a con. Some people in um, a little town called Telford, which is the, the Telford claims to be the home of the Industrial Rev Revolution. Hmm. Um, and they had the first like iron bridge. Uh, anyway, have you been on the have you been on the iron the iron bridge, Johnny? Oh, uh, no. What is it? He says, right over there. You can see it from here. If you find that tree, and then you can see it over those. Um, Sounds like you're going to stand on it, Johnny. Yeah. This is going to stand. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. What was I going to say then? There was something we, we did go. Oh, I can't remember what I was saying. When I, why did I bring it? Oh, the industrial. We were talking about Warwick Castle. Yeah, Warwick Castle. Oh, there's a picture of the like 18th Earl of Warwick, and he looks just like me. Uh, <laughs> I, I, swear, I swear to you, if I if I could know where I put, how many pictures do you have on your computers? Oh, goodness, thousands, me. like tens of yeah. thousands. Yeah, enough that my Google Drive is constantly angry with me. Yeah. Well, I would think. Uh, yeah, I mean In that iCloud. Yeah. Oh, the iCloud. Yeah, I have no I, yeah. I can't even get to the iCloud. Uh, I don't I, even know what it is. I don't know what it is. <laughs> the night. What is the iCloud and how yeah. it, the, yeah. can it be seen in October? Uh, <laughs> Sound off in the comments. Oh, yeah. There's the 18th Earl of Warwick. Oh, oh yeah. look at that. Oh, this guy, no. This is, that's oh, not the guy? No, that's not the guy. Uh, there's, a, there's a portrait of him in Warwick Castle. Oh, okay. I had a picture taken of me. I don't know if it's the 18th or the 13th. One of the teens, though, for sure. One of the earls, anyway. I'm not yeah. sure. Uh, but it's a side view, and he looks ex he, he looks exactly like that. You know, the beard. Oh, right. Exactly the same. And um, no straw hat and sunglasses. But... Uh, <laughs> But it, I was, God, I wish I What had. a strange place to run into yourself that way, though, eh? Exactly. Yeah, I was. played into it and maybe inherited a castle. Yeah. I was, 
everything seems so familiar here. You just, you know. And just like, <laughs> yeah, there's my flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> my keys. I was looking for my keys. My keys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but that's something. You oh, do. Right there, there's two things that you can never find when you need them: your keys and a flashlight. You know, I, I just had the flashlight in my freaking hand like less than a minute ago. <laughs> and then suddenly it's disappeared. You know, gremlins. Yeah. True. But, uh, True. Oh, thank you. Oh. Um, but, anyway. uh, so, so, yeah, well, like, well, one comment here is that, uh, from Heather says she loves that you call James Cromwell Jamie. Uh, you know, and maybe you, could you tell me a little bit about, uh, like, I guess your friendship with him and, uh, you know, we're what, lovers. Lovers, and, uh, and, uh, mm -hmm. and he calls me Johnny, and I call him Jamie. And uh, no, uh, it's that's not true. <laughs> but it can stay out there in the internet universe and float around <laughs> there now. <laughs> Somebody called me up, uh, like Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jane, uh, everybody knows him as Jamie Cromwell. Uh, I mean, he's done. He, he was in, he's a wonderful actor and I know him. Um, I, I met him first, not in Star Trek or anything in television or film. I was doing Lord Capulet in a production of uh, uh, Romeo and Juliet at, at a theater in Hollywood. What's the name of that place? I can't think of it. The Skylight. Skylight Theater up on Franklin, up in where it's called, it's called, that's known as, um, it's just, it's on the way to Beechwood Canyon. And Beechwood Canyon is where the famous Hollywood sign is on top of the, uh, okay. near the reservoir there. Um, but I was doing a production of, uh, of Romeo and Juliet, and I was doing Capulet, Lord Capulet. Uh, I guess it's Romeo's. No, it's it's Juliet's uh, mother, Juliet's father, Her father. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I had done it a couple times already, so that was good. But then I got I got a job uh, in I think it was in Minnesota, so I had to leave town, and I was replaced by Jamie Cromwell. <laughs> oh, that's impressive. Um, but I, we, you know, we we met before he before I left, and we talked, you know, various things went over, went through the show and whatnot. And uh, I think he had probably done it before as well. We're both stuck. It was a brilliant Prince uh, uh, um, Elizabeth's husband, Queen Elizabeth's husband, um, Prince Philip. Prince Philip. Um, have you seen that? In, in I think it's the, called the Queen or the Crown. The Crown is it? Is it the Crown? Oh, that he, that Oh no, he plays uh, Prince Philip. Yeah, I guess no, it wasn't the Crown. It was a, it was a movie that he played. Um, that was about when Diana died. Yes, yeah. I know the film you mean. Yes. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He it, she was brilliant as uh, Prince Philip. I mean, he's always brilliant. He's so he can do everything. You know the mother. <laughs> but, uh, this story kind of reminds me of when uh, you know William Shatner and Christopher Plummer, who both played. Um, was it Hamlet's or was it, it was one, it was, they both were, uh, Shatner, Shatner oh, and Christopher yeah, Plummer. Uh, 
what would they have done the same? Lady uh, King Lear up here in, in Canada, in Stratford, Ontario, okay. uh, which is the kind of the Shakespeare capital up here. Oh, I and, the capital of North America. And Shat Shatner was his understudy, but Christopher Plummer got sick one night, and oh, wow. I think, and uh, and Shatner played King Lear. Hmm? He went on as Hamlet. No, it was, it was King Lear actually. I oh, think. Lear. Yeah, yeah oh, it was King, oh, King Lear. Lear. That's you know, have you ever, have you guys ever understudied and gone on? No. No. It is the most terrifying thing you can imagine. I bet. Suddenly you get a call. You're going on tonight. What? And you better know it uh, <laughs> because you haven't had any rehearsal. Right. You have You know, they, they just they just assume, memorize it while you watch, and that's it. End of story. <laughs> and it's a great possibility to break into a mate, but it's also terrifying. Um, you know, you remember in Star Trek, the guy who did, um, uh, Tony Call is his name, Anthony Call, he did, uh, Ensign Bailey, who had one line, but it's iconic. You know what, what, what line I'm talking about in the original Star Trek? I don't think so. Um, but Bail Ensign Bailey? Ensign, or I think it's Ensign Bailey. Yeah. I, uh, no, I can't recall the line. He's a helmsman. Okay. Okay. No, I don't know the line. That, that, they're doing a countdown. You remember that line? They're doing a they're countdown. Doing oh, countdown. No, I, now I now I need to know what this is. Oh so. man, it's the <laughs> to the like, internet. Huh? It's going to check it out. Maneuver. I'm oh, the Corbomite maneuver. The Corbomite maneuver. Okay. Right. It's in that. Yeah, yeah. And he says, they're doing a countdown. And he starts freaking out and crying. <laughs> <laughs> they're doing oh, a yeah. countdown. Yeah. Uh, oh. Bring it up. Oh, you only got one line. Oh, make it work. I'm working on it. Yeah, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he's capitalizing on that line there. Uh, well, no, he I, he was doing. Uh, it just happens to be a connection with Shakespeare, with uh, Star Trek. We were doing Shakespeare at the Folger Shakespeare Library, the theater in Washington D.C. He was playing uh, Oberon, the dual role of Oberon Theseus, in A Midsummer Night's Dream, and I was doing Old Aegeus. This is when I was like twenty-three, <laughs> Old Aegeus. And uh, but I was understudying Oberon Theseus. I was understudying him. He was not able to do the final two weeks of the show because they made an extension because it was, you know, Midsummer Night's Dream always sells out. Um, and so I took over for Tony. And I think that was in seven. That was in it was like seventy four or five. And he, so he had already done, uh, they're doing a countdown. <laughs> uh, I got, I got the, the clip. Here. Oh, you got it. He's oh, doing right. a countdown. He's doing a countdown. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do remember that now, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, that's great. Uh, he's a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful man. Uh, Tony, uh, you know, he had this incredible... He had such great things. Great, he came up with some great stuff. He was mm -hmm. married. I don't. I think he still is married to Elizabeth Perry, who was the 
niece, I believe, of Antoinette Perry, Antoinette, and for which the Tony Awards in New York is named for her. Oh, and wow. Oh. Tony. Um, I didn't know Tony was short for Antoinette. Yeah, well, it wasn't that Tony Awards. But yeah. uh, Elizabeth Perry, look up her last name, Antoinette, Antoinette Perry. Anyway, um, uh, what was I saying? Something about... Uh... Well, anyway, I, I called him a couple of years ago before the pandemic. And uh-huh. I said, Tony, have you ever done a convention? Because uh, we, we hadn't talked in 40 years, you know. And I, he right. said, mm. who is this? I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> I said, have you ever done a convention? He said, no. Um, I said, would you want to? Because uh, I think it would be a major hoot for Star Trek fans to to meet Ensign Bailey. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and he said, sure. But then the pandemic happened and years passed. And he said, you know, I don't think I can get to, I don't think I can get up for a convention now, John. You better just count me out. And now that I'm 73, I I don't feel like doing them either. Uh, I mean, you have to fly, usually someplace, stay in a place you don't know, never get to sleep because it's, it's almost impossible to sleep in, you know, hotel rooms immediately for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I love I love meeting the people, meeting the fans and the other vendors and the other actors. You know, it was, it was a great. Bob and I have had a tremendous fun. Uh, Bob O'Reilly, Galron, have had a tremendous time doing. Uh, <laughs> dueling chancellors um <laughs> and uh see i i remember i remind him that i'm the olkc the only living klingon chancellor um, but it's it's been 25 years of delight i've been all over the world in a lot of you know from from sydney to new zealand to back to Prague to I never did anything in Japan. I'd like to, but uh, or in right South now Korea. we're in space. <laughs> yeah, and there, this is wonderful. Yes, maybe you just bring, <laughs> you could bring us touchdown in. Uh, yeah, yeah, touch touchdown there. Well, uh, touchdown somewhere not covered in snow. Oh, I say? just think docking bay four on the station there. <laughs> is that what they, what, they don't say touchdown? A touchdown at uh, 0400 hours. They don't say touchdown, do they? No, no docking. docking. No, no, not docking with another ship. Landing. Oh, landing? Well, oh, landing. it doesn't happen often. I mean, you're landed but, once. But when you touch down on the moon, the moon, the lunar lander, the eagle you know, has landed. Right, yeah. so. Eagle has landed. Yeah, they don't do it. Yeah. They, don't do, they don't say touchdown. No, uh, they do say splashdown though. For no. when the capsule comes back in, that would splash down into the ocean. Of course, uh, they don't do. You know, they didn't. Uh, the do the last thing they the the Russians don't basically land in dirt. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't <laughs> think of water. They uh, they shoot in. It's <laughs> water. <laughs> Because they're they're freaking tough, those Russians. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
<laughs> anyway, I was around seven. Literally, we were, everybody was everybody my age. I was seven. Um, and you'd lie in your front yard and just stare in the summer waiting to see Sputnik, which is a tiny pinprick point of a light going, you know, incredibly slowly. <laughs> and uh, But that's Sputnik! Those bastards! <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here, Sputnik. Yeah. yeah. Get out of here! <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, speaking of touchdowns, uh, <laughs> why did you decide to call your newest book "Confessions of a Klingon Linebacker"? Well, let me think. Let me let me look here. Uh, I uh, two things Which will be in my hand shortly. I promise. Uh, it better be. I'm coming mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. uh, I was just reading something. What was I reading? I was reading about. Uh, Help me! Help me find it. Um, reading, I think it was reading about my dad. Oh yeah, it was about. Uh, there it is. The blaster. Page fifty-five. My encounter with my dad's Renault phenomenon, which is a disease. He died of a very strange disease. Will be elaborated upon later, but for now, I must return to the beginning of my career as a wannabe outside linebacker for Crossland High School. When tryouts came along. I was ready, ready to turn right around and avoid getting killed by the juniors and seniors at practice, who were huge, and I swear they were actually salivating at the impending prospect of murdering the new kids, especially those of us with no protective fat or muscle attached to our lanky <laughs> skeletons. But there was my dad to think of, and there was my Uncle Dick, who was built like a brick shithouse and expected me to play football. So, uh, back in the back in my day, about fifty-five years ago, there was no such thing as traumatic brain injury; it didn't exist. Right. There was barely even anything known as a face mask. <laughs> you guys were lucky; people get them all the time now. Yeah, the yeah, the junior varsity helmets <laughs> were heavily gouged with hairline fractures, and they looked like something worn by Jim Thorpe from the twenties. Uh, the varsity eventually they came, and I found a uniform in my play. Okay, so I, I made it. Um, okay, uh, but without the sign, uh, it was depressing. But when assistant coaches whistled blue, there I was, slapping the sides of my helmet with my open hands, running in place, hurling myself into the ground, immediately jumping to my feet again, running in place until the signal ran the signal to run as fast as I could into a red padded machine accurately named the blaster. It was not welcoming. Everybody, nearly everyone who went through the thing <clears throat> before me complained of ringing in their ears and flashes of light following their assault on this evil, debilitating machine. And then it was my turn. <clears throat> I felt like I was in a trench fighting in World War I when the unfeeling and self-possessed lieutenant looked at us, huddling together against the concussion of mortars and rat-a-tat enemy machine guns. He finally cried out in patriotic zeal, tinged with a touch of <laughs> Sadism over the top. <laughs> I knew the blast. <laughs> I knew it was going to hurt, but I hoped to survive. As I started running at it, I prepped my demise while I prepped for my demise while lowering my head and hurling myself into this giant red 
unmovable arms. Uh, I ran at it, exploding my head and shoulders into those six steel spring-loaded arms that could be adjusted to impenetrable. And then I was through and still alive. The blaster did not seem to dislike me. In fact, I think it liked me. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I can relate to that. I played football in high school, and it was, uh, yeah, especially when I was in grade nine, it was scary. Right, right. Well, that was just past grade nine to grade uh, grade 10. That was the first <laughs> year of high school when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. um, but that, light, uh, you know, I... Uh, so I played football in high school and then I went on and played it in college outside linebacker on the left side. Cause I have a bad left eye. And okay. so I couldn't, I didn't want anything to be on that side of me because I couldn't see him. And they would, there were no rules back then. You know, they say, you know, the, everything that happens now is like uh, everything that I was taught to do as an outside linebacker is illegal now. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> you're taught to do is to hit the guy on the side of the head with your fist as soon as you do. And now you can't do that. It's like in hockey, you're not allowed to give him the lumber anymore. Right. No. But anyway, that changed my life. I played football, and I when I went to college, I didn't go to college for really any other reason than to play football. It's, it doesn't sound like me. I understand. My mother was a Latin and a French teacher, and uh, my dad was in the Air Force. Um, and I, uh, I, I was a tall, skinny kid. And um, but my uncle Dick was built like a brick shit house, as I did, and he expected me to play football. So I'm glad I did. I got a scholarship. Anyway, it's. College was paid for because of football. So that changed my life. And, and then it, the next major thing that changed my life was getting cast on, in, on Star Trek. Hmm. Because uh, it allowed me not only to live in the Alpha Quadrant, but travel the world on somebody else's dime. You know, hmm. it was astounding. And so that changed my life. Um, so that's why it's called Confessions of a Klingon linebacker. So everything I did, good and bad, to get me to those places uh, is in this book, just about. Right. Well, I can't wait to read it. So good. now, when you started playing football, were you already acquainted with the stage? Or what no. What drew you to acting and, and, and a life sort of on, on the boards or behind the camera, you know, or in front of the camera, I guess? Janet Cunningham. All right. Doesn't it sound like, doesn't, yeah, she looks exactly like that. Janet Cunningham. Um, <laughs> who? I hear you. Janet, Just picture it. I was, I, I didn't, I quit. I didn't play football in my senior year. They were so pissed at me because they, like my defensive coach said, you're going to be, a, you, you're up for little All-American. On, uh, I said, look, I I had a girlfriend then named Diana who was uh, one of the original hippies, and she had complete and utter disregard for sports, intercollegiate sports especially. And uh, maybe she would have, well, no, she, anyway, um, God, God rest her soul. She's passed on now, but 
she was everything I, I've said it before, so many things that are good about me, and there's many, many, many things that are bad about me. But most everything that's good about me was developed from uh, Diana. She was a, just a wonderful person, but hated football. So, uh, she, uh, you know, because I'd rather have Diana than playing football, I, I quit when I was a senior. I said, you know, there's 500 people in a 20,000 seat stadium here at Bucknell. What the hell am I doing? Uh, with my senior year, you know, I, I I can't spend nine hours a day, you know, in football practice, you know, getting red, getting, you know, all the training to everything. Uh, I said, there must be something better that I could do with my life. So I was leaning against a brick wall outside uh, the Coleman Theater at Bucknell in central Pennsylvania. And uh, and uh, Janet Cunningham uh, walked by. She said, hi, John. Oh, hi. Uh, what are you doing? Um, and I said, nothing. <laughs> and she said, well, they're auditioning for uh, Murat Saad in here at the theater. You going to audition? And I said, because I wasn't even, I, I hadn't done any theater. I hadn't even thought about it. And she said, uh, I said, well, are you in it? <laughs> she said, I hope to, I hope so. And it turned out she wasn't. She never didn't get cast, but I did. <laughs> so there I was. I um I think the oh, I thought the picture was here. It's uh somewhere. Anyway, um <laughs> Uh, so I got cast, and the guy who, in so many cases, the, the your mentors you you meet in life. Well, the director of the show was a guy named Dr. Harvey Powers, okay. and he was an amazingly kind and talented man. And if if my first quote, director, had not been Harvey Powers, I don't know if I'd have been spent a life in the theater. Hmm. Because he was uh, something else. He's passed on now, but his son lives right near me, oddly enough. Um, we were both in uh, Murat Saad, which is perfectly for a football player because it was about uh, insane uh, the Charenton, an insane asylum in France in the at the turn of this at the Revol French Revolution, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I pretended uh, I was uh, this magic. I was cast because I was big, and it was in it was it was uh, it looked good on stage with you know other people of different shapes and sizes. So I'm sure I got cast because of my size because I had no words, I had no lines. But I made it my business every day. It was a, it's basically an argument between uh, Marquis de Sade and Jean-Paul Marat. And uh, every time the Marquis de Sade would get up out of his chair and walk over there, I would sneak up and sit in his chair and pretend that I was the Marquis de Sade. <laughs> You're the understudy. I was, I was the unknown. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
but uh, anyway, that's it was Hardy. And then, but in high school football, that was in college. But in high school football, I had a genius as a coach, hmm. uh, John Merricks. Uh, he's the best director I've ever had, and he was a coach. He wasn't a director, but he directed. Can I explain this one thing to you? Absolutely. Of course, yeah, by all these stories, no, the stories, not at all. Um, no, we we love it. I we would walk out for every home game. Uh, Merrick's Merrick's uh, would ha he got uh, skull caps for us, matching skull caps, uh, knit caps, and uh, warm up jackets, and we'd all walk out silent in single file. There was like uh, four teams. Uh, you know, offense, defense, offense, defense, offense, defense. And we'd walk out silently in single file, holding our helmets and walk past. It was a long walk from the dressing room, across the parking lot into the playing field. And we, as we approached the field, we would put our helmets down in team order on the bench and then walk over and stand in the end zone that we were going to defend first. Mm. We'd stand there in silence for 10, 15 minutes. In silence. Just stand there. The other team was, was running around their side of the field, catching passes, warming up, doing this and that. But, and we were silent statues. <laughs> Staring at them. Chewing um, on nails. Yes. <laughs> and, and then eventually, Big John Merricks would walk out, walk among us, just look us in the eyeballs and walk on to the next guy. And then went out and stood in front of us, facing us. We're silent, unmoving, no movement. And he would stand there and just look at us and shake his head or nod his head. And eventually he'd start. <laughs> and we would start with him. And it gradually increased in speed and speed and speed and speed. And then it would then the roar would go <laughs> as a unit. Uh, and the people were over there throwing passes and hiking the ball, in, and they'd hear this and say, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> and it went. We did it every every home game, and uh, <laughs> it was pure psychology. They didn't know what to make of us. Yeah, you're very clear. Oh, you're ah, we yeah. lost two games in my three years at uh, at high school. He. We were fat. We were, and it was because of him. He had very simple plays, psychology to the max, and um, anyway. So he was a he was a life changer for me. Unfortunately, my college coach was an idiot. Uh, uh, oh. I'm sorry, reading my book or hearing this podcast. No, no, no. I, I want to know more oh, no. about your, your life. So no, no, no. I mean the people that know. No. College yeah. call. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, that was a long time ago. But it, it's. Did yeah. you did you have aspirations of like playing pro or was that sort of never. Um... If I'd have been three inches taller, 
you know, I was six one. If I'd have been six three or six four, I'd, I, I I would have might and weighed or something. I mean, it was I was I was still thin. I weighed the minus most I ever weighed was like two thirty, two twenty eight uh, as an outside linebacker. That was acceptable, but I wasn't quite tall enough to to uh, to play in the pros, even if I'd have been able to. Um, uh, because they're good. <laughs> right. Well, you, yeah, you know, it's very yeah. difficult uh, to make, uh, you know, but um, yeah. so that was, that was kind of maybe you're like, okay, well, maybe I'm not going to play football for the rest of my life. So I'm going to, you know, maybe try this acting. Oh, thing I, and, I graduated uh, from college and I uh, got a job with the federal government for two years. Uh, my job was uh, resource recovery and uh, to improve resource recovery. 1993, uh, I graduated in 70, uh, I'm sorry, 73. I graduated in 72. And in 73, the National Environmental Policy Act was passed in uh, the US, uh, the NEPA Act, which created the EPA. Right. And uh, I got a job as in the, in the uh, General Services Administration an office of the EPA in the GSA. And uh, my job, the first big thing I did was to, or after a while, there's another thing in there I won't, talk, won't go into, but um, there was a, uh, the people we had, the government, the federal government had a uh, recycling program in every agency of uh, the government and mm -hmm. i made it my job to walk to ride the garbage trucks at night ride the garbage trucks into and find out why we were losing money on the paper recycling uh mm. business and uh so i called in I, I i saw something funny was going on and so i called the uh general accounting office and i said i need to do an audit i need to ask you guys to do an audit of our recycling program so every agency in the government was going to be audited uh for losing money and uh a guy came into my office i was 23 a guy came into my office he was probably in his 50s and uh big guy and he and he walked in he said uh, are you uh john hertzler or uh, hertzler i said yeah he said uh close the door um you called uh, for an audit? Uh, yeah, it's uh, because he said, yeah, I, I know why. There's not going to be an audit. <laughs> I said, I said what? yeah, no, I just I was just talking to the guy at uh, at the GAO and uh, he, they're starting next week. He said, no, there's not going to be an audit. John hurts there. I said, well, why not? Why? Because it's connected. <laughs> 23. I said, connected to what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. He said, it's connected. Oh, business to be in. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, and uh, Yikes. and then he left the room. 
Thank God. Yeah. I said, oh my goodness. We can't even protect the garbage (laughs) in the federal government from organized crime. What the hell? How am I going to make the world safe for democracy? Uh, You know, (laughs) hired goons. Yeah. You never answer the door when they say they're hired goons. Yeah. So uh, anyway, that wow. was, that what was, a thing to what a thing know, to learn at twenty three that way. You, oh, you know, weird. JG, our friend Heather here says that in fact she met you at Halcon. So it says that you have been to our fair province of Nova Scotia. It says she met you at Halcon in twenty twelve. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. She, uh, she sent me a picture. <laughs> uh, Right is, is it embarrassing? Is it of uh, the two of us in a hotel room? Or I hope not. Well, you're sending those ones now. Oh <laughs> no! But it's like no. It's like it looks to be like a Klingon karaoke style thing going on. Oh, oh yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Fun. Uh, um, what's her first name? Heather. Heather. Uh, Heather. I. I. I hope I. I, I apologize. <laughs> Anything that I did, Lord, please forgive me. <laughs> I also don't have a great memory, so I know where you're coming from. <laughs> it gets worse. Did I do that? It gets worse. Yeah, that, I, I hope not. Beard of yours, you know, changes slightly to become this. Uh, yeah. Remembering anything is really, you know. I, I almost remember writing my book. <laughs> she says no apologies necessary. One more question I had from just you telling the story of when you were playing football and having the bad left eye. Did that tie into when you played Maratok and giving you like the scarred eye? Like, what, well, I guess what was the genesis like of that? Did they're like, oh, we're thinking of poking one of his eyes out and you're like well poke the left one out because it's it's you know i don't see as yeah, well that one exactly what happened you nailed oh, it wow. they said we're gonna give you we're gonna bring you back and but we're gonna give from your time on the uh on the um prison the jem hadar was it jem hadar yeah prison. it's the jem hadar prison, prison. prison. Yeah. Yeah, uh, for your years or months in there we're gonna take take your uh your eye out and I said, okay. They said, we're going to do the right eye. I said, no, 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 no. Can't do the right eye. I, I will knock over things like uh, Ferengis. And <laughs> I said, I can't see out of my left eye, so you have to do that one. And they said, oh, okay. So that's how it got uh, scarred. Uh, and then they said, once they did that, they said, all right. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, it must be said. Ferengi are notoriously difficult to stack. Let's just yeah. <laughs> yeah. To, to stack? Too much ear, yeah. Yes. Have you Perfectly. ever tried stacking Ferengi? I can't. Uh, I have, no. It's, it's, a, no. it's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Another question I have about that, actually, um, your role of Martok. Um, did they tell you, because you played like three episodes as a changeling you weren't really martok did they tell you that just they, to, like you're playing martok but you're not really martok 
And, and then you was the way of the warrior, and then you came back yeah. next season, right? Uh, yeah, end- the way, at the end of that season, um, yeah. the way of the warrior was uh, both the uh, fake Martok, but yeah. they didn't. They didn't think they, the person that they were going to. I got revealed as a uh, shapeshifter at the end of Way of the Warrior, right? Mm-hmm. No. No, it was the end of the, it was the end of the season because uh, they brought you back because they they thought Galron was the changeling, and so yeah. they're trying to kill Galron. Oh and right, it ended up, but that was um, the episode. They find was, out in the prison episode in Purgatory Shadow because they find you in prison. They're like, "Well, who's the other Maritok?" And same with like Bashir was there. Oh, but I'd already been blown up as the uh, yeah, as the changeling. As the oh change. really? Oh yeah. yeah okay. So we didn't know where the real Martok was, um, right. or was presumed dead, but it turned right. out he yeah. was alive. Uh, well, he. Uh, um, oh, Heather helped us out there. It was in Apocalypse Rising. Apocalypse Rising, the, the episode, yeah. Where... Well, that's when I returned uh, in the mm-hmm. prison thing, right? No, that's the one where you, you got blown that's up. in Purgatory's Shadow and by Inferno's Light. Oh, I thought it was. Oh, that's it. In my memory, I thought it was the the end of Way of the Warrior, the second because it was a two parter. I mm-hmm. thought at the end of that second second part, I got blown up, uh, but I guess not. But for um, me, you were playing it differently. I recently rewatched those, and like when you're the changeling, you're acting very different than when you come back later and you're like the real Maritok. So I just didn't know if it, they had told you. Well, no, they hadn't. They hadn't decided. Uh, it was they. This is what I was told by the people uh, in charge. They said we we were gonna make it Galron as the changeling, but that we figured that was too obvious. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Galron is just nasty <laughs> as well as being uh uh, uh whatever I, I, bob knows how i feel um, <laughs> anyway so they decided to make it me but they they had i i was only supposed to be in two episodes and gone right and, but they brought me back because they said you know what it makes more sense that you would have been the changeling. So you've been on a prison planet, the real Martok for this time, and then we can bring you back, but you're gotta be all scarred up from being a tackling dummy for the Gem Hadar. Um, so that's when I learned about it. And uh, I remember Ira Bear, the uh, showrunner and executive producer said, by the way, we can give you an artificial eye, so you'll be able to have both your eyes. And I said, "Oh no, 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 no! Don't, don't give me any. Leave this hideous scar tissue over my face. It's a much better idea, and uh, I can pretend I'm a pirate." <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly what your character says too. No, I have the I have the clip <laughs> here. I'll play it. I do not want an artificial eye. <laughs> that was that was sick trying to trying to it was uh, you talking to Ira Bear and uh, they just kept it. No, 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 no that was Sid I was talking to. Uh, I was in sick bay. That's right. And um, Sid is so funny, Alexander Sadig. He is one of probably my favorite guy on that show. I I just loved him. Um I have um uh, I have I, in the wedding in the big wedding thing. Uh, uh, you are cordially invited when Warfang. Uh, oh, great episode! Uh, and Mary. <clears throat> There's a picture. I wish I had an act. I should have got my pictures together to show you to illustrate this. But 
there's a picture that was uh, taken of those two. I don't know. What, I don't know. Anyway, but it's it's Worf in his red outfit that was beautiful, and her red outfit, which was phenomenal. Oh yeah. Uh, and she's like, she's like, she has a smile on her face, and she's looking like we are gonna do some things tonight. <laughs> you. And Michael is there. Not only are his hands folded in front of his crotch, <laughs> his shoulders are like this, and like you know, <laughs> scared to death of what's gonna happen. <laughs> I hope that, uh, that's one of the funniest episodes like it's so funny oh um, i know why i was going to tell you about that because sid was standing next to me as we were watching the ceremony and he kept whispering in my ear now now <laughs> because the, the tradition was to go up on the stage and whip the shit out of uh the group <laughs> with sticks Sid could not wait <laughs> to get up there <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't miss a wedding. Thing. That was really, that was really in real life. That was happening. Yeah, at least three times. He's, he's like, no, no. <laughs> oh, no Ontario Dave here had a Klingon wedding. I did, I did. Actually, I had the batluff above me here, and uh, my wife and I we oh. reenacted that wedding. Oh, you did. From um, what you used to, what you used to get beaten with. <laughs> we didn't have the beatings. Davin pointed out after. I that. wasn't there. Yeah, he's like, if you were, the, if I was there, I would have beat you with a stick. Like, there was uh, a stick to your ten-year uh, yeah, so. anniversary. I promise. No, I didn't get to. Cal apparently, High there out, were but... Snickers in the audience. I wouldn't have had any of that either. Yeah, there was well, laughter. Many... It was a serious ceremony. Y'all settled down. Yeah. You know? How many? Uh, when is the tenth anniversary? Tenth uh, anniversary will be in five years, so or so. Uh, this would be well, I have to come back for it. You know, we used, we loved. Everybody loved hitting Michael with the with the. Uh, you know, <laughs> with the you know? They didn't even put it in the final episode. It's not even in there. You know, you just you hear just, it. You just hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is even funnier. It's like when you see somebody fall in a movie, but you don't see <laughs> and it's always way more hilarious. Well, what we did, <laughs> what they did, I don't know what they, uh, I don't know what they did use, but. Uh, Anyway, people people uh, kicked ass on everybody wanted it because Michael Soup he's a big guy, he's just annoying, and <laughs> goes straight forward. You know that is not the Klingon way. Well, try this on. You know? <laughs> um, the the, the relationship between you and your wife in that episode is hilarious. Oh, it's so it's funny. Hilarious. Oh my god, it's so oh, funny. You know, for the first time. My wife, Sorella, is going to be yeah. at a convention with me. Oh, in, oh wow. In, oh, really? In April. She's coming up, and we are going to renew our vows. Wow. Amazing. Mark and Sorella. So they're going to come up and beat the hell out of me. Oh, <laughs> yes. Maybe if you vows, you should beat the hell out of her. And that'd be scary. Very I'll mention that to her. That's yeah. somewhere... Somewhere I, sitting, sitting in the back, going, now? <laughs> yeah. like, how well do you remember that episode? It does segue me on one of my other questions was, um, I, I'm a big um, player of Star Trek Online. Yeah. And um, you're, I think some of your best work in general is in this game. Like, you really bring it. Your character of Martok, 
I get to go with Martok. I've literally been to Grethor, which is Klingon hell, back oh, yeah. and forth with you. I the, the story in it is amazing. Um, and I just want you know your your wife Sorella, she's in like uh, that episode, the first episode when oh, you come back. Yeah. From, from the brink of death. Uh, and it's still going. The story is still going. There's going to be a new episode coming out in a few days with uh, Nicole Dubois, uh, Esri oh, Dax yeah. character. Um, oh. So, you know, just I, what's your been, what's oh, been your experience on that? They had to re, <clears throat> they brought me in for some sort of, uh, oh no, it was just reuse of stuff from that episode. They had to, they had to pay again, I guess, for that, uh, which was great. I loved it. <laughs> um, use it they couldn't use it without without uh screen actors you know sag rules mm -hmm. that would pay me again for some sort of some sort of pickup sound uh pickup money um but there was i'm trying to think uh there was a, a did you <clears throat> on um uh, Lower Decks. Have you seen Lower Decks? Oh, yeah. Oh, love it. We're big fans of it over here. And you've seen, uh, I think it's in the third season, Martok runs sort of a, a dungeon. Video and game? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, that was hilarious. No, we know so that one you mean exactly. Uh, well, that's the funniest line I had in all those years of Star Trek. The funniest line was the guy says, well, I said, well, you're going straight to like, you're going straight to hell. Or go, you're going to Grethor. And he said, oh, no. But yes, it was a dishonorable death. What do you mean it was a it committed suicide? No, I didn't. The guy said, No, I didn't. I said, Look, <laughs> you ripped your arm off and beat you to death with it. So technically, you died by your own hand. I loved it. I loved it. This Dex is so funny. It's so funny. Yeah. yeah. Oh, hilarious. Orville is hilarious. Uh Orville, yeah, I love the yeah. Orville. I went back and watched the first episode of The Orville a couple nights ago, and I am on the floor by myself laughing at this. <laughs> Dude, you know, it's um, gets it better too. Yeah. It gets better. Oh yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. This is when he was birthing an egg, you <laughs> yeah. know. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 yeah I but saw that episode. The two ensigns were hilarious. Such great byplay with them. Um, <laughs> no, no I, I love that show. And, and back to Star Trek Online, yeah. Some of your lines, like in even that that first episode where you come back, it's called Brush Fire. You know, we're fighting these Zen Cathys, which are these big alien things. And you oh, know, I see they've sent a pack of filthy Karuts to fight us. Good. <laughs> I can use the exercise. <laughs> like, like, you know, you're like, yeah, Bartok, let's go, let's get them. You know, and so it's just like, um, well. Right? Filthy Karoots. I didn't remember. I have no memory of Karoots. Yeah. So about your, you wrote a couple Star Trek novels yourself and that focused around Maritok, right? Yeah, uh, I don't know where I, I should have brought them down. I have uh, there. I, well, we have the picture here. We can oh, bring that up. That's for sure. Yeah, it was on that opening poster there. There they are. The oh, yeah, Hand of Destiny, part one and part yeah, two. Orange, uh, the amber colored one is the episode of uh, part one the blue is part two so what was the motivation to do that was there more story of martox you wanted to tell or you just wanted to take a crack at novel writing or i did want to take a crack at novel writing but uh yeah. ed uh ed um no terry erdman 
came to me and said, uh, John, would you be interested in writing a, uh, a follow-up uh, Star Trek book about Martok? I said, yeah. Um, <laughs> so he said, well, well, we'll set it up. So they did. And uh, that was in 98, 99. Somebody is an angry cat. That is a cat's pissed off. She's in her room and she says, Let me out. Let me out. Um I have four cats. I was just like, is this my house? Yeah. I I was thinking, where is where is Zelda? Quiet. (laughs) Yeah. Um cats always listen when you say quiet. Absolutely. Cats <laughs> don't listen to anything. You no. know, you either have to terrify them or pet them. But like Klingons. Anything in between, no. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know what I was saying, but it was hit. Well, um, I wanted to ask you. Oh, yeah, but uh, why uh, you were uh, why you're interested in writing Martok? Oh yes, yep. The why you wrote the novel. They asked me. Uh, oh, I know what I was going to say. Was uh, at the same when I was right. That was the ninety-eight, ninety-nine, and I wrote the first uh, book, and um, then my daughter was born in ninety-nine, and uh, once she was born, uh, she, my our our father-daughter time. She was, you know, from from birth to first, second, third year. She was. Uh, our time was in the, in the really early hours of the morning, out on the deck, watching the sunrise. You know, and mm. that was the time I also wrote. <laughs> that was my writing time before she was born. Because your mind is. My mind. I, uh, anyway, anything after twelve o'clock is not possible for me because it's same clogged same morning person. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, so I didn't get. I had a hard time writing the second one. They brought in Jeff Lang to help, and he went back and fixed everything that was questionable in the first book, uh, in the first outline. Uh, they hadn't printed either one of them yet. And he was mainly the writer on the second. Uh, I wrote the outline, about ninety pages, but uh, he was the uh, he was the head writer on the second. But they gave us, you know, both uh, credit for both books. So it was great for me. Um, and Jeff is a great person. I just, you know, and he adored Klingons. He loved Martok. So he was really the the my. My most uh, inspirational contribution in the first, uh, well, for both of them, was naming the Nog character. Uh, in my mind, the character was um, was uh, uh, Aaron Eisenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, I call him Far, P-H-A-R. And I call him that for the precise reason of him being able to say at the end of a communication, far out. Um, <laughs> and that's my favorite part of the book. 
Well, my follow up about those books is: Can we get a, an audio version, perhaps? Because I'm I'm kind of an audio book well, guy these days. Man, you know what? The, you know what? Youngins. I have been pushing for that. I said, let look. It's from Martok's perspective. Yeah, I can do mm. it. I wrote it with Jeffrey. I think you would actually make some money on an audio version of this saga. I buy him. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Andrew Robinson has his uh, novels, right? What he yeah, did. He just did his. Yeah, yeah. Did. But Andy, Andy uh, was on. Uh, did he start on on uh, DS Nine? His character. He did. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm I'm surprised, but they didn't first really season though. Huh? The first season. First season, though. Yeah. 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 He's, uh, he was recurring from the first season, like Nog, mm -hmm. like uh, like. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um. Anyway, I uh, I didn't even think about pushing to get it to reading it until about five or six years ago. I said, you know what? That those they should be a re uh, an audio book. They should be recorded, and I should do it. And I couldn't get them to. Uh, they were on to new, the new series, is, you know. This, <clears throat> so they, they really weren't interested in another Klingon. Well, we'll start a petition over here on Live Long and Podcast. Maybe yeah. segue to my next. I had a. I wanted to ask you about the Captain Wharf show that never was, um, and how like how far did it get along? And and I don't I, know. And you don't. You I don't, don't know. know. That's. Um, I have been. Uh, I did some work on uh, Axanar, pre Prelude mm -hmm. to Axanar, and uh, they, that was a thorn in the side of CBS. They, I had thought that uh, the uh, producers uh, that picked up the Axanar thing after, after Prelude, mm -hmm. uh, I thought that they had worked out all the problems with uh, uh, CBS and Paramount and whatnot, and evidently they hadn't, or it just became bollocksed and uh, ugly. And I, for the past five years, I've been uh, sort of on the outs with the fifth floor with legal, because uh, I, uh, so I, um, finally it's been worked out and uh, things are, happening again but um oh. it's been slow and <clears throat> axonar is part of the reason the axonar mm. thing okay yeah, yeah well it's, it's just a great um, piece uh i can't tell you how thrilled i was the first time i ran across that i think yeah. i found it on youtube first i agree prelude to axonar is it's only what uh for is it 40 minutes uh, i don't know what it oh, is oh maybe less but yeah, yeah just about that but it's really professionally done. Everything about it is wonderful. I mean, plus they have every, they have so many people in it. Mm -hmm. Kurt, you know. Uh, That's what struck me, yeah. Tony Todd, yeah. And Nisha, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't know about you, but the shot of a D7 in atmosphere hovering over a city is one of the most yeah, chilling. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Still sort of like diorama images yeah. from a series famous for diorama images. Yeah, of course. You uh, know? Yeah, the guy who did, uh, Tobias Richter did, um, I think he did sound or special effects, oversaw special effects with um, 
uh, who's the main guy at Star Trek? Um, oh, um, oh, Kurtzman. Oh, Kurtzman now, yeah. Not Kurtzman. The guy who did uh, special effects for Next Gen and... Uh, oh, Drexler. Oh. Not Drexler. No. No, it's not Akuda. It's... Uh, Curry. Dan Curry. Oh, Dan Curry. Oh, Dan Curry. Dan Curry did so much, and he worked... I think he worked on this, too. Uh, but oh, he, wow. He was wonderful. But Tobias Richter, German uh, special effects guy, did a spectacular job. I mean, it was... It was every bit as it was broadcast quality, and yeah, that, that I think. Well, I don't want to. I, I think they they were surprised to see how good it was, and they said, "Well, that's going to eat into our our regi our regimen, our uh, lore or whatever." Yeah, yeah. So, and it was during that quiet phase too, where there like was no real there was nothing coming out, and we're like, well, the fans so will make stuff like, on our own. And they're like, well, no, yeah. we're going to make something on our own. But the right. Captain Wharf show was not a a fan made thing, though, was it? It was going to be no, like no, no. I you know I don't. I, I, that was your question. Yeah, Dave. I don't know. Uh, I never really heard much about it at all, except okay. I heard more about it from fans asking me about it, and I didn't know anything about it, so uh, they didn't confide in me. My understanding is that they, they started developing in it, and I think Michael Dorn was involved, but then it got canceled somewhere along the way. They, de they never ended up doing it. Well, you know, the thing about it is, you know what the car uh, for uh, in uh, DS9? DS9 was the most expensive uh, series at that time. I don't, I don't think they got more expensive than that after the fact, but because there were so much... So many aliens. The makeup people alone. It was two point five million an episode. Wow. For Just makeup. And, oh no! For uh, total. The, the budget. Yeah. yeah. Compared, the budget. compared to what Next, Next Gen was doing, not even more than half. Only a million dollars an episode. Yeah. Years it, earlier. So Next Gen was cost was cost it cost them a lot of money, mm -hmm. and they you know everything about it was expensive. The the multiple sets, the multiple alien types, always on the bridge. KG Hertzler. Well, I, yeah, I was the, the, the rock that uh, <laughs> sunk the ship, yeah. broke the uh, back. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, it's a pity because I, I think it's a no-brainer to do a to do a, a follow-up Klingon-esque episode. Oh yeah. Any kind of a sequel to D Space Nine, I think, would be welcomed. You know, like well, like I think there's a there's a huge fan base out there who's just clamoring. Give us, give us stuff. Oh, like I think that yeah. like this most recent season of Star Trek Picard, which gave us a little bit of that. You know, um, mm -hmm. was was so great. And stuff. The yeah, changeling, seeing like just where these characters were, Worf in particular for me, but um, all yeah, of them, it was like, all the next gen people, and it was. Uh, it was that was fabulous? I, I mean, it, when it got the next gen people on there, I was not a fan of uh, uh, the first couple seasons so much. Yeah, we we it's a, we echo the similar sentiments. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but once they got the, so, I mean, when I when I saw when I saw um, Frakes for the first time yeah. was on there, and I said, "Oh, all right, now I'm watching." Because I, the, you know, Patrick, Patrick is uh, just a brilliant, 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 brilliant man with a, uh, the Shakespearean background is phenomenal. 
and uh, National Shakespeare in uh, in London. I mean, he worked for 25 years, 25 years in the business over there in England. He was making maybe two or three hundred dollars a you know uh, what was it? But, well, it was in euros or or um, pounds. pounds, pounds or something. Yeah, but it was. Um, it was like a 250 a, a week job. <laughs> you know, he, he never made any money, uh, even though it's much more highly respected a life in the theater in London, in, in England, than it is here. But still, it does you barely make a living. Um, until he was making $12 million an episode in, in uh, the X-Men. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then, yeah. Then you're but uh, he was uh, his his life was that of a uh, you know an, an un what's the word not uh, not famous but uh, star he wasn't a star he was an actor he was a leading right. actor of some of the you know one of the great Shakespeare companies in the world <clears throat> um, he later taught a uh, uh, a workshop, Shakespeare workshop on the lot at um, at Paramount. Oh, really? I, I happened to ride around with him, uh, looking for the proper place to to do his uh, to run his school, the right place. And we rode around all of Hollywood looking for a proper uh, space. And finally, he ended up saying, "What am I doing? Why can't can I get a soundstage at at Paramount?" And <clears throat> he did. That's where he ended up doing it on on, on stage, uh, the soundstage H, where musicals were uh, were done because mm. great acoustics. And uh, so he taught his uh, Shakespeare workshop there. There were about fifteen people in it, and I was lucky enough to be one of them. Wow. And uh, at one point, he said, "I remember him saying." Um, Uh, I, 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 he was talking about the Scottish play, which yeah, the, we won't name. Yes, which shall not be named. Well, he I made only, that mistake in front of a different actor. Well, not, not only did he name it, but he quoted it, and I said, "Patrick, Patrick, you can't say that name. You're in a theater." He said, "He said, oh bollocks, that." <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay. Oh. okay, I will go outside. I will close the door. I'll turn around three times. I'll spit and I'll knock to get back <laughs> in as your proxy. Okay, what I did. I gotta toss the salt. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, so um, he was not as much of a uh, believer in theater superstition. I think it's better than, you know, Catholicism myself. I think <laughs> no arguments there. <laughs> no arguments there. One thing I wanted to ask you about, because I've been known to do a bit of twaining over here at Live Long and Podcast, mm -hmm. is um, oh. you were campaigning for political office as Mark Twain. Is that what I, did I read that properly? Like, yeah, because if you if I did, it's maybe oh, the greatest oh, thing I've ever heard. Just a second, I think this I, is amazing. <laughs> I had not heard that until. Are this we getting a costume change or something? Oh, I'll be back. Well, that's, I'll be back. I'll be back. 
<laughs> I say, I say. Oh my goodness. Oh, this is exciting. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, Mark Twain. Um Mark Twain. Check out was, our, our I read that Mark too. Twain yeah, and there was also a mention radio theater. Yeah, of uh of somebody who had played Mark Twain for like many, many years. Um oh, yeah. not the guy, not the guy who played him in, in the next generation episode. But yeah, I don't I don't remember his name. He was a he Holbrook? Was, something like that. It wasn't Hal Holbrook. No, he didn't Hal Holbrook, no. No, but uh, the actor who did play it was very good. Um, this is a uh, was when I was running for Congress, and uh, my daughter did this uh, sketch for this these bookmarks of me. But uh, I can read. You won't be able to read it. Oh, I don't know if you can even see it. Oh yeah, oh, yeah that's great, right yeah. there. Yeah, politicians are like diapers. They need to be changed frequently and for the same reason. That was my true words, rarely spoken. Yeah, I know. I'm JG Hertzler, and I approve this bookmark. Yeah. Well, if you want to come up here and run in Nova Scotia, I'll vote for you. Jerry Hart, Jerry Hart, your campaign. Uh, oh, that's, his, that's oh, his Jerry Hart, that's right. Also played Deep Throat on X Files. Uh, what a great role! Thanks, thanks, Norman. Um, well, I wanted, I wanted yeah. to ask you about the years on D Space Nine, and like, uh, you're, you're, you're there in the original pilot. You're playing the Vulcan captain, but then you, you know, you don't come back until you're playing um, Martok. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, no, there was laws. Don't skip over laws. Laws is at the end of the season. He's in season seven. Oh. He's later. Oh, oh, oh. oh yeah, Laws was. Uh, you know what? Uh, Laws was. They asked me to do Laws uh, much later, and uh, would you come back and do this character Laws? And I said, Yeah, sure. Um, but I said I gotta, I gotta change my voice somehow because you know I, I don't want him to be confused with Martok. So, <clears throat> what I ended up doing was. I can't remember any lines specifically, but I I tried to talk. I tried I tried to talk in a a higher register and put in the Shatner like pauses. <laughs> you know, so uh, but still everybody said, Yeah, well, I heard your voice right away. I knew it was you. I said, Oh great. <laughs> Well, yeah, but Jeffrey well, Combs well, played. Well, you made that character incredibly unlikable, and that's what like you're going for with that character. It's like, but the way oh, you were yeah. talking, it was just like so like demeaning to everyone around. And, it was well, that, one of the first things I did was go in onto the bridge. All the regulars were there. Renee brought me out into the bridge area, into the I guess it was the bar. Yeah, yeah the bar area. They were all seated in there doing something. And I walked in, and uh, I proceeded to offend each person individually. <laughs> and and then and they all just hated my ass as I, as we walked out of there. And I said to Renee as we went through the door, I said, "Well, I think that went very well." <laughs> it sounds like you guys did have a lot of fun on set um I, because one which thing is I wanted, what, isn't what you hear what i want to ask yeah ask you about because you always hear about like okay the next generation cast were like 
thick as thieves. They were like almost like a family, really got along. Always, um, D Space Nine, you don't hear that in the same way. Um, but because I think that there's just so many more of you, like the next generation, there's seven of you, but uh, and then right. on D Space Nine, there's like the core nine, like the main cast members, but then right. there's like 15. <laughs> lot, there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of secondary. Yeah, and, and great yeah. characters, but like there was probably a lot of time you're not together or you're kind of seeing each other here and there. And like, what was it like to be part of that group? Like, was it sort of, um, were there clicks? Was it more like, you know, uh, just professional? Not so, much. not so much. We, um, we, uh, well, you know. Uh, we there. I think the uh, Air, uh, Ira. We weren't nearly as loosey goosey as uh, I am told. I didn't pay attention really at that point. I don't, I'm told they were. Uh, it was a lot more. Uh, um, well, I can't say any of the words I'm thinking. You know, screwing around. But no, oh, you can you can swear on this show professionally. Uh, professionally, so. <laughs> uh, they were. Uh, then there was on DS Nine. We, we, they were pre pretty persnickety. Is that a is that a swear word? They were. We were pretty persnickety uh, about saying you know, which w a i w h i c h rather than, you know. Uh, I don't know how to even say it, um, but the words were very, very critical. So much so that I, you, you could, if you wanted to change a line or change a word, you had to call the writers' room or the writers and ask if it's, can I make this change <laughs> for almost anything? Uh, the only thing that that I did, I mean, I. I don't have, I, I, I'm not the best memorizer in the world, but I will start, I will, I'll do it over and over and over and over and over and over again so that I have it. Uh, so I don't waste anybody's time on set. Um, but I had uh, in the episode, once more into the breach. Right. Uh -huh. We just Great. covered that one here on the podcast. I think it was once more into the breach. The last one with core. Yes. Yes. Yeah, See, I, I refuse to forgive Cor for what he did to my father. Uh, mm -hmm. He 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 refused to allow me into the uh, officer school, officers candidate mm -hmm. school. Yeah, we're playing on officers because I was of no, non noble birth. I was you know just born outside the garbage heaps of Mexico. That's is what it is. <laughs> lowlands. You were from the, the lowlands. That's what they're like. <clears throat> I said, oh, okay. Um, so I refused to forgive him and, um, um, when he, when he asked for that, I said, and, oh, when he, and I refused to do it and, and Worf said to me, why, why, you know, why won't you, why do you feel that strongly about it? Everything has worked out pretty well, you know? And I said, uh, then I told him the whole story mm -hmm. of how I was uh, refused entrance into school into the uh, officers candidate school, and so he 
I, I wanted to add a line. Uh, I said, well, he, my, my father's only wish for me, his only son, was that I become an officer in the Klingon Defense Force. And, uh, and he denied my father that wish, that only wish. And I will never forgive him for that. <clears throat> and uh, I, I, had, I said, can I, can I add one line at the end of that speech? And, and it was, um, unfortunately, my father did not live to see the day that I became a commissioned officer. You know? mm -hmm. Unfortunately, That's my in father there. did not, yeah. <clears throat> and I had, I called Ron Moore and I said, Ron, I'd really like to add this because in my own life, my father never saw anything that I did in terms of television, film or anything mm -hmm. because he died fairly young. And uh, and I said it would mean a lot, and I think it's perfect for this this one speech where I feel so strongly I will not celebrate that that great Dahar master. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I said if he didn't, unfortunately, my father did not live to see that day. I think uh, that's the most memorable line in that speech. That's the one that I think about. Like, yeah, that's how it ends. Yeah. It's, it, it, and, and then Warf says, well, uh, but I've made him an officer of the ship anyway. Sorry. Uh <laughs> right. And I, I called Ron. Uh and it felt very hot. It was very Hollywood. I went over to the phone. There's a phone on the side of the inside of the studio. Dial up the writer's room. Uh Ron. Yeah, this is JD. I uh <laughs> I'd like to add a line to your beautiful speech, if it, if I may. And I read it to him what I wanted to do. And he said, absolutely, JG. Perfect. Absolutely. Love it. So uh, that's the only thing I added of any substance ever. Otherwise, it was like, yeah. You walk well, by the writer's room later and they're all just weeping. Like, this But it testifies to what you're saying was the difference. You, yeah, no, there. Uh, see, I. The writing is without writing, is you've got nothing. You've got mm -hmm. without the brilliant writers of those shows, and I think start. I think Star Trek, any sci-fi that is good sci-fi, is the hardest bunch of writing you can have because not only do you have to write, you have to write in human drama that's understandable in a human human way to move the audience at all but you have to put it in an alpha quadrant you have to put it in places that don't exist yeah, yeah. so you have to you, and i think it's harder i think it gets short shrift in um you know oscar time and tony time and whatnot i think it gets short shrift because it's it's unbelievably hard to do great work there's an occasional uh, Dune, you know, there's an occasional Frank Herbert or or Robert Heinland or, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, the greats. But there's a lot of great work written uh, all the time. And those writers in that writer room for DS9 was were fabulous. I, I tell everyone it's the greatest story ever told. I love. I think DS Nine stands apart from so good um, everything. Really well, for 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 me, I I wonder whether some of that problem with science fiction, particularly, 
stems, and I've thought of this for a long time, right? I'm a big science fiction fan. I love the history of science fiction writing as well, you know? But so much of it comes out of the early pulp publishing industry. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I wonder if that stigma of it being essentially a kind of lower class um, form of storytelling in some sense, oh, oh, even in terms of the paper you get it on, yeah, yeah, has yeah. stuck with it, right? I think so. I think, I think it, it's amazing to me how, well, first of all, in Hollywood, writers, for some unknowable reason, are considered at the bottom of the totem pole. You know, writers. strange, right? Without <laughs> writers, you've got nothing. You've got no totem pole, you know. Uh, and then if writers become well-known and famous, then, you know, Katie bar the door. They can do and say whatever they want and charge whatever they want. But for the millions of writers that struggle on a daily basis to get any kind of uh, foothold in, in Hollywood, they just get no respect whatsoever. Mm. It's, um, it's astounding to me because I don't, I don't get it. Without them, we'd, I'd be talking, uh, I'd be doing this, you know, making it up as I go along, uh, which isn't bad, I guess. Yeah. It's good conversation, <laughs> but it, you're right. It doesn't necessarily make theater, right? No. I love yeah. this. You see this? I am the danger. You know where that's from? Oh, that's my book. Yeah, I can bring that up in big screen here. Yeah. Okay. You see that? I am the danger. Yeah. Yeah. You know what that's from? No. I am the danger. No. A friend made a t-shirt for me because I was. That's uh, it's a long sleeve t-shirt uh, with that quote on it because that's what. Uh, Brian Cranston says in Breaking Bad, Breaking I Bad. am the danger. I am, I, am the, I am the one who knocks. It's dangerous. It's, I am the, you know, I am the danger. I loved, I, that was the first, no, no, Sons of Anarchy, I think was the first. Which one came first? Uh, Sons, Sons of Anarchy of, came before. Okay. okay. That was the first binge for me. And then uh, Breaking Bad was the second binge. And then I was sold. I mean, I, they were, I just, I couldn't get enough of Brian Cranston, especially. And it, mm -hmm. I got Black Fedora, the sunglasses. Oh, and, your uh, Heisenberg. That's your Heisenberg. Heisenberg. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Have and, you watched uh, Better Call Saul? Have you seen that yet? I never bought into Oderkirk. Uh, oh, okay. I, I just for some reason, I didn't. I didn't get it. Uh, of course, I didn't get uh, Game of Thrones the first time around either. And then I started watching it again, like at least eight or nine years after the fact. And mm -hmm. suddenly I said, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I dismissed it at first too. And then I kind of got into it as it went yeah. on. Just dismiss uh, the last season. It kind of goes off the rails a little Yeah, bit. it sort of <laughs> goes off the wall. Uh, yeah. the I remember what happened in the last season. Uh, they prefer it that way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oblivion. It's just mainly oblivion. We have a question from the audience here. Which was your... DS9 episode was your favorite. The one I mentioned, I think, it's between that and Soldiers of the Empire with... Uh, Another with, great one. It was directed by uh, uh, LeVar. Uh, mm. Directed uh, Soldiers of the Empire. And he was a brilliant director. Not only is he a good director, but since he had lived on the other side of the camera all those years from roots on, uh, he knows what an actor does. 
and uh, and knows what an actor doesn't do or shouldn't do. And so he mm-hmm. was enormously helpful as a as an as a as a director. There was one moment when he said uh, he said, "Okay, we're going to do a Shatner uh, shot." <laughs> What's that? He said, "Oh, we're just you're in the you're in the pilot seat. You're in the control seat, captain's chair." And we put the camera down there, looking up at you, because it creates awe. Right. <laughs> it makes you an awesome. Makes it makes you a a Greek god. You know. I said, "Oh, and it's called a Shatner shot." Well, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> he called it anyway. Um, but one of the funny about that same time, he said to me, "He said, you know, it's amazing, John." JG, um, how much emotion you can get out of just the one eye, you know? It's I'm I, I'm amazed. I said, I said, Lamar, what are you talking? What the hell are you talking about? You didn't have any eyes. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a touche, touche. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, at risk of uh, over buttering your toast. I will. Say, I I think Martok is one of like a flawlessly uh, acted performance, and it's like like there are performances where like it's like a flawless acting performance, but there are also performances where it's like it's that, but also so uniquely uh, personal to the actor that like plays it, and I feel like that's what you do did with Martok on that show. It's just like it 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 feels like you're there three times as much as you are. As far as like the episodes you're in stuff, oh, well, yeah, like, I completely agree. It's like your presence looms large over the show. You know, I think really that's why does. they kept bringing you back in all these stories. And um, yeah, yeah I, it's amazing. An actor from an actor's point of view, I, I, we don't know, you know, how it's being uh, absorbed by the viewer. We hope that can be the case. But I, who was it? I think I think it was somebody like uh, Robert, uh, like like. Um, one of the big stars of the gold. Can you see, honey? It's too dark. Let me turn the. Yeah, you can see. Um, he said maybe there are four, maybe three or four roles in an actor's life that they they connect with, and. Um, other than that, you you know you're just you're acting. But um, they said if you're lucky, there are there's three or four that really uh, it's a strange brew, you know, uh, of actors' mm-hmm. life. The act, the duality of actor character are just so close that there's no acting going on. And um, and I was lucky. I think that's exactly what happened with this this role uh, for me. And it's you know never happened before or after, but it was uh, wonderful. I mean, it was what wonderful. do you think of the arc? Like, because like you say, he starts as this like guy from the Cathololans who couldn't even be an officer, and then becomes the chancellor. It's like it's such an arc to happen over four seasons, you know. Yeah, it was so easy for me to climb into the mentality of that ascent uh, 
to to you know to my to to I couldn't possibly let go of the humility of being born in a garbage dump, and mm. I couldn't. You can't. You can never shed yourself of that. It's like the smell is always part of you. You know, you you know it's there, no matter how exalted you might become. You know from where you came, and uh, I always tried to maintain the honesty of that. Um, but it was, just, it was the luck of the draw. I mean, it was. One of my be the reason I got the role. A friend of mine, Ron Canada. Not from Canada, though. He's not from Canada. He's no, not no. from Canada. Uh, but Ron Great actor, though, also plays a great Klingon character. Yes, exactly. And he was my roommate uh in New York. We I did a play called I directed a play called Practice that opened at the Perry Street Theater in New York. And uh, he actually, he was part of it in LA, in DC. I first did it at the um, Playwrights Theater in DC. Uh, it's a new, it was a new play at that point about a street hockey team in 1950. And Ron was uh, part of that. And he became, we became close, for, very good friends. And uh, we did another show together called uh, U.S. Surplus Soap, which was very funny. Um, <laughs> but uh, here, look that up. He, yeah, that sounds hilarious. This is about the title. <laughs> we had, uh, we had uh, the same agent for a while, uh, Chris mm -hmm. uh, Wright, and that's a very his family. I think it's Anne Wright was uh, a. Uh, uh, a theatrical representative uh, family in New York going back years, decades. And uh, Chris was the uh, son and uh, he was both our, he was an agent for both of us. And uh, I eventually moved out of New York and went to San Francisco for five or six years and then down to LA. And by that time I had a different agent. Um, but uh, I only learned this after the fact that Ron Canada had been offered the role uh, pending. They had to see one more person for Martok. <laughs> that was me. And we are like brothers, you know. Wow. And, uh, and I got the role. I think because I threw a chair into the wall and it stuck. Uh, <laughs> if it had it fell out, it would have been his. <laughs> if it had fallen out, no, yeah, we're asking <laughs> history. But uh, uh, his agent called Chris and said, "Ron, I got some good news and some bad news. <laughs> what if your, you know, your best friend, uh, JG John Hertzler?" Uh, got got uh, the role on Star Trek uh, and you didn't <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know we've remained friends he's like a he's like a prophet to me he I've, I had so many questions he won Emmys uh, for a news broadcaster 
in as a, in WMAL uh, in in DC. Um, I would watch this guy on TV, and uh, then later we ended up as best friends. <laughs> Star Trek. <laughs> and then, and funny enough, you both play Klingon lawyers. Yeah. Yes. On yes. Enterprise and he, on he was Chapak. I I love that episode, Rules of Engagement, that he's in, where he's yeah. like the prosecutor against Absolutely. Warby. He's so and your Enterprise was as well. Yes. I love he that one. You no wrong for me too. In fact, I used him as a. He did Othello for me up in Maine. We did a production of Othello. Oh yeah. I brought Ron up because there was a guy that was going to do it, and he flaked out on me. I said, Ron, how fast can you learn this role? <laughs> and he came up, and we had a wonderful summer. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And, and then we, you know, we lived together in a group house in Brooklyn, uh, and in DC and then, yeah. And then, uh, again, in Brooklyn briefly, um, Park Slope, um, anyway. Yeah. He had been on Star Trek, the next generation as well. The, um, yeah. It, mm -hmm. earlier the masterpiece society is like that guy who's telling them don't talk to picard and all that he's always oh like, yeah he did a lot of uh he, he's, he's had a great film career i mean he's done he did othello with patrick stewart i believe i believe there was like this uh like race swapped version of othello that they did i saw yeah. it and i told ron yeah. ron here's my problem with that show you're talking Elizabethan Shakespeare. You're talking. Uh, you're talking in uh, rhymed couplets in iambic pentameter, and uh, with everything uh, that Patrick Stewart is born into, and he has, and yet he's been cast as the outsider. But the language you're speaking, he's the one. Who does it better than any insider possible? Right. So that it doesn't it it doesn't work for me because he's not the you know Othello cannot fit into Elizabeth into Venetian society. Right. Mm -hmm. That's one of that's what gets him into a lot of his disaster. Uh, but. You are the only one who fits into this Elizabethan world, and everybody else is an outsider. So, it, I'm sorry, it does not work. And I, uh, you know, I didn't tell Patrick that, but uh, but that's what I felt about that production. Yeah. I, I saw it at the uh, uh, Landsberg uh, Center uh, in D.C. because you know I basically grew up in D.C. and um, I uh, thought it would be a wonderful idea. Then I watched it. I said, no. And that's the reason it doesn't work because you're the ultimate insider uh, as a fellow. And that can't be. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. Uh, but I, yeah, that's, that, that makes complete sense what you're saying. I think that oh, yeah. for that, that story to work, yeah, Othello has to be the outsider in how you present it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think they probably should have swapped roles. I don't know. I'm assuming Ron played. No, everybody was everybody was black, and then he was the only white guy. Oh, right. Is yeah. that what they did? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the only one, and it, it didn't work for that reason. Um, right. Yeah, because in principle, it sounds like a really interesting idea. Exactly. They were all good actors, tremendous actors, but 
they didn't have the facility with the language that Patrick Stewart has. They, he and Ian McKellen are probably two, the two most accomplished Shakespearean actors uh, at the same time, you know, um, with all that sure. age experience, you know, it, it, anyway. Mm, uh, sure. But he was my best friend. And I, he stayed in New York. Uh, and I still haven't, I, 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 I haven't, I've been very bad. And he, he never calls. He almost doesn't ever get a, he, he didn't want to have, he didn't have, he, he may still not have email. Uh, he fought <laughs> the, the modern communications completely. He did not ever want to be a part of it. Because he understood things. <laughs> I say there's 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 probably a great wisdom in that. Uh, oh, ultimately. tremendous! He, I would turn to him if I had a question about ideology or uh, philosophy, anything. I would call Ron and say, "Ron, here's what I'm thinking about. What do you make of this?" And he would be able to say, "Well, uh, it's interesting." You know, and he'd go on and tell me exactly why I was. Off my rocker. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, boy, yeah. Well, I think do think we should uh, take all your night away. Um, oh, too late. I do have one. Well, that's yeah, true. We've already done that. But, yeah, but I, I had one night, four nights, especially. Did I tell you how I was seventy three? Did I mention that? <laughs> <laughs> Keeping my yeah. beloved wife up. Screaming at it. Besides that, gotta say that is an awesome poster you have behind you. Is, is that a custom, like that one of you and Gowron yeah. there? Can you see it? it we uh, we yeah, could, but I mean, better before the light was on. When you, when yeah. you, when you, when you uh, got up a few times, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. That is a uh, image that was made by um, Lightspeed Art, uh, Gary Hassan. Uh, put together, or his artists put together that uh, image of Bob and I. And it was supposed to have, uh, this is a story I heard, it was supposed to have Worf in the middle. But for some reason, Worf was too busy doing something else, and they they, they didn't put it, they, so they just sort of blurred in a Klingon symbol sort of be, between us. If you get a chance to see it, I can't. It, it is a fantastic picture. Um, but yeah, I love it. So I figured maybe that'd be in the background, but it really disappears back there. I don't know why that is. <laughs> it comes and goes. Uh, well, I can't speak for my two co's here, but one one final question I have is: What do you think it is about Klingons that draws such enthusiasm out of people like myself and my co-host included? You know, we have a Klingon wedding over there, but yeah. it's like there's something about Klingons that just like you were able to do it, like as far as keep going with it, your character after the show is over. It's just like I, I hesitate. Could, could you have done that with a Vulcan? Like probably not, right? No. Like it's a, there's something about Klingons. No, Klingons are uh, they operate at the extremes of human behavior, and it's like um, it's like a relief <laughs> to see <laughs> that extent of. Uh, of what, what what's the word? Not animus, but uh, the ex, the 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 extremes. It's interesting to see the extremes of human behavior. If we could all act like that, 
you know, we'd have sometimes we'd have probably wars constantly, or a, but a great deal of fun. Uh, and, <laughs> it's and, kind of what Klingons do, yeah. Yes, yeah. and uh, I think that's part of it. And I hate to say it. In fact, I hate to say it enough that I'm not going to say it because uh, it's just a. I think. It's like playing sports. It's like playing football. You can do things on a football field that you'd be arrested for. Absolutely. You know, on the street. Uh, so we can do things as Klingons that, that that no human would be permitted to do or say or act or, you know. So I think it's refreshing for people to see, oh, that's who we could be, you know, uh, if we just took off the blinders and and put it uh, on the forehead yeah put it on the forehead <laughs> uh, yeah and they're plus they, they look like uh look like rock stars uh not the new Klingons they never should have taken the hair away from us mm -hmm. uh, uh, agreed they the put hair. it back since they've, they've yeah we're like space pirates you know it's yeah. um goblins yeah it's, yeah. Uh, it's a yeah. not goblins <laughs> Goblin, it's yeah. uh, it's a trip, and uh, I was very lucky. That's all. Right yeah, I have to I have to uh, uh, echo Davin's uh, remarks and just say that I I well I, not only do I love the the Klingons, but specifically Martok, I think in particular because he is like the best Klingon, maybe the most Klingon, more than Worf. Worf has yeah. got got this duality, he's got this human morality. Yeah, he's got a human. Um, but he's you know he he's noble and everything else. And a lot of the other Klingon characters, Galron and and these other ones, like they're they're Klingons, but like they're they're kind of like flawed. They're 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 one way or the other but martok is like the most unapologetically klingon and he's a good guy and he has this ability to sort of learn from his experiences the episode like the, the whole thing with core i think is like maybe the greatest example of that where he had like this grudge against core and he even tries to throw a dagger into his chest at one point in the episode and then by the end he's like good for core i like he comes around and he has like sort of like this moment where he lets go of like that that old grudge and that hatred and he's kind of changed his mind and I think that that's part of why I think the Martok character has been so beloved, you know, and and uh, and I think it's also, you know, just your voice and your presence and what you bring to that personality is so intoxicating, so um, uh, so amazing. I think, you know, I don't think I'm saying anything too profound here because I think that all the other Star Trek fans of D Space Nine uh, feel the same way. And that's why, you know, they're bringing you into Lower Decks and they bring you into Star Trek Online and all these other great things. And uh, I just hope we get more of it, you know, as, as, as mm. the years go on. Who do I make the check out to? Don't worry about it. Um, just, I have my yeah. out It doesn't happen very often. I'd settle for an audio version of your your novel. <laughs> oh man, I would too. I I uh, yeah. nobody has time to read anything anymore. I I would yeah. love to be able to uh, to record it. I was it was all set up. Uh, oh, the novel. You mean the? Uh, um, yeah, your well, your new book too. I yeah, take it all in audio version. <laughs> yeah, the uh, yeah. this this was a. Oh man, this is a life in the theater, basically. Mm. Uh, and in television and film. Not much film. The Yanomamo and rock and roll. The Yanomamo were a very, very 
what's the word rudimentary race in um, in Brazil in the in the uh, in the uh, the the, uh, the Amazon basin there. Yeah, the Amazon rainforest is what I'm trying to think. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Like yeah. <laughs> Yeah. One thing I think enjoy it if you get this, you're going to enjoy it. I guarantee. Oh, I know it. I know it. I'm looking forward. Well, to I it. think it's one thing that your character and Worf's have in common. Worf's character always gets in trouble for being a bad parent, but Worf knocks out your character's son Drex, and then Drex is never mentioned again. And you bring Worf <laughs> into your house, and it's just like there's not no mention of Drex. It's just like you got rid of Drex. Know, they brought in Worf. They must not have <laughs> liked Drex. The writers just did not find a way to. <laughs> He's the one who beats up Garrick, right? In the shop. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then they just never talk yeah. about him again. Oh, he's, he's basically uh, from Sorella's side of the family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's gonna kick my ass. I'm gonna I'm gonna see her in April in April. And so uh yeah, if she hears me say that <laughs> it's all fuel on the fire There's, now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But how are those vows? Oh um, well, thank yeah. you guys. I, thank I, you. Thanks. Uh, Thanks so much for your time this evening. Wonderful time. I hope it gets warm soon. I I I don't like twenty below, thirty below, forty below. I don't. You should move to this side of the lake because we get a lot less snow uh, than down there. So. Oh, you do. Yeah, lake effect. Oh, 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 yeah. Geez, I didn't know that. I didn't think about that. I always seen Canada as the Great White North. No, not no. Upstate New York well, gets way funny. more. Yeah, wow. we were talking about it today. We feel colder. I feel the cold more keenly now because we get less of it. You know, we get less snow. It doesn't stick yeah. around when it yeah. goes from seven to minus sixteen Celsius. That yeah. twenty-three degree swing in a day and a half or something really kills yeah. me. You know, if it were just yeah. cold all the time, I might be all right. But no. well, no, no, you would. I know. Uh, Great questions and stories all around. Kapla. Heather Narduzzi. Mm -hmm. yeah, I was Heather. Huh? Was that the Heather? That, uh, that's Heather, that's yeah. right. That's the same Heather, yeah. I remember that name. I remember the last name, too. I don't... Hmm. Uh, she made an impression. She made an impression on us, too. We love Heather over here. Wonderful. Um, all right, guys. All right. Well, all right. why don't we? Well, I guess there's only one thing left to say, then, isn't there? Indeed. Live long. And transmission. Yeah. Okay. Thank you.